In honor of today's start of the Bad Water 135, I can't think of any better guide for mile number 28 than to replay the episode with Bob Becker. For those that may have missed it, Bob was my guide for mile number 10. For those not familiar with the Bad Water 135, it is called the world's toughest foot race. It covers 135 miles from the Badwater Basin in Death Valley, which marks the lowest elevation in North America at 280 feet below sea level, and finishes at Whitney Portal at 8,300 feet, which is the trailhead to the Mount Whitney Summit. Runners will traverse three mountain ranges with a cumulative ascent of 14,600 feet and descend 6,100 feet. What is remarkable about this race is the temps in Death Valley, as you can imagine, for this event are forecast for 114 to 117 degrees. This year, it will involve 84 runners from seven countries. The roster is made up of 60 men and 24 women, with 36 of the participants over the age of 50. There are 10 in the 60 to 69 age group and two over the age of 70. Bob will be this year's oldest participant at age 76. Bob has been a part of this race for a total of 14 years, either crewing for another runner or running the event. This year will mark his fourth year running the event. As you listen, I ask you to think, how will you spend your days at age 76? Hey everyone, this is Pete Perusik, and I want to welcome you to this edition of the Weathered Athlete Podcast, a place for us to honor those athletes that refuse to go quietly into the night. As a weathering triathlete and a physical therapist, I will spend my time talking with those athletes that continue to make the necessary repairs and continue to move forward. They may have a few cracks in their foundation or a squeaky step, and their patinas may continue to fade, but they are no less glorious than years prior. In fact, I feel they have more heart and resolve as they have weathered and can provide the pathway to set the standard that we should all live by. My goal is to determine what sets these individuals apart from the rest of society After the discussion is over, I encourage you to stick around and hear a breakdown from a physical therapist's perspective of how this weathering athlete is able to keep moving forward. Don't forget to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and share with your friends. Today I'm honored to be joined by ultra runner Bob Becker for mile number 10. He is the race director for the Keys 100 and the Everglades Ultra Trail Race. When it comes to ultra running, Bob's bio is incredible. His racing accomplishments have taken him all over the world. Bob is the current record holder as the oldest person at 70 to complete the Badwater Double, which includes climbing and descending Mount Whitney and an impressive total of 292 miles. Last year at age 74, he completed 230 miles, which is the current record at a race for the ages. His accomplishment at a race for the ages and the technique he used was one of the many reasons I reached out to Bob. I was in the early planning stages of attempting a 51 mile run in honor of my birthday this month and was interested in getting any advice on that technique. Today's episode was taped in two sessions, the first over Labor Day weekend while a race for the ages was occurring. We then had a follow-up conversation to review this year's race results and a few other topics. I hope you enjoy. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time with me. Glad to do it, absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, when I was looking through your, uh, your race resume, I'm amazed, you're incredible. Well, thank you. I just, you know, just keep putting one foot in front of another. That's about all it amounts to, you know. Hey, when you're ambulatory at my age, it's, uh, you know, I guess it's unusual. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's it's not. There's, I'm amazed, uh, but it's pretty extensive. It looks like you've been doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, I you know. I enjoy it. I love it. So, um, 
I wish I could do more, you know, there's a limit as to how many races I can do in a year. And, uh, you know, I, people say to me sometimes, what's your, uh, what's on your bucket list? And generally I don't have much on the bucket list at all. What'll <laughs> happen? Like yesterday I was talking to a friend of mine and said that, uh, he's talking about a, a trail that runs the entire length in this particular case of Israel that he'd like to run sometime. And he said, what do you think? And I said, it sounds like a hell of an adventure. So, you know, it's usually somebody who mentions something that just, wow, that sounds great, rather than having a long, a long list, you know. So, yeah, as long as I can keep doing it, why not, right? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think it's awesome. And you're right. There's always, there's always something else that needs to be conquered. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> so, um, thanks for joining me on this. You know, basically, we're just going to have a conversation, and I just want to try to pick your brain, if you don't mind. We'll talk about some of the things you've done, but... Um, you know, this podcast is basically focused on people over the age of 50. What I'm trying to do is just to help motivate people that, look, no matter what's going on, you know, maybe they're not going to go run 135 miles, but they can at least, you know, get out the door and move um, and do something. And I think yeah. your story and other stories that I've had on the, the sh episodes, are, it's just, it's inspiring, I think, for everybody else. And it just, it's good for all of us to hear. Well, glad to share whatever I can. And, um, you know, every once in a while, somebody will tell me how inspiring it is to see an old guy like me do it. And, I, and that that's enough motivation right there to keep me continuing. You know, yeah. I can get people off the sofa and out the door. It's just exactly what you're doing. And I think it's great. So, yeah. And I think, you know, with this time of COVID, I think it's so difficult for everybody. And that's one of the things I want to uh, maybe we'll start with. Um, as far as I know, you're a race director for two races. Is how have you handled just kind of this COVID uh, landscape now? Well, you know, there, there, are no, uh, <laughs> there are no secret answers to this stuff, yeah. right? So this year, um, actually my 50 mile race in the Everglades, Everglades Ultras, 50 miles, 50K and 25K was actually the last, um, the last event held in a state park in Florida before everything was shut down for COVID. We were literally out there for the weekend in a pre-race meeting when word came down that the parks had all shut down. So uh, we got the exception to continue because we really were all set up and ready to go. Okay. So we did, we actually had that race this year, but my race in the Keys was in May shut down and it's a very difficult decision, but it was the right one. I made it early. I made it in May because, you know, we get people from all over the country and all over the world. People have to plan. So I didn't think there was, um, a real opportunity to reschedule it later in the year. First of all, no one knew how long the problem was going to exist. And secondly, the issue is always, when do you, where do you find a date on the calendar that doesn't conflict with something, right? Yeah. And at that point, you know, the Keys race is pretty unique. You're running across 40 islands and you've got, you know, blue water on either side of you. How do you, how do you replicate that in a virtual format? I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't get it. Right. Yeah. So I said, nah, I'm not going to go the virtual route. And, uh, now that's since changed and I can, if you want, I can tell you about that, but, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, now it's looking into next year and trying to figure out what we're going to be able to do and how we're going to be able to do it. And I don't know yet. I mean, I really haven't, for example, for keys, I, I haven't reached out yet to the County, the state or the cities because I, they don't know yet. I mean, yeah. until we get a little more time under our belt. Um, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to propose anything and I'd rather wait and know what we've got and then be able to promote a race where, where I know what I'm offering. Right? You know, I know what the race is before yeah. asking people to sign up. So, you know, hopefully it'll be close to what we've done in the past, but you know, we don't know yet. 
Yeah, I think time's only going to tell. You know, I think everybody is pushed um, pushed off to next year, and we hope okay, maybe when we get a vaccine, things will open up. But I think even moving forward, I think for a year, two years from now, I think what we're used to, our norm is going to change. It, it's not going to be the same. Um, having all those people at the finish line, I think there's going to be extra precautions we're going to have to take. So there's just an extra layer, I think, of protection we're going to have for a while, which I still think we can put on events. I think we can get back to that day. And, and you'll see there are a few events going on here and there. And, um, you know, with spacing people out, not starting, not doing a mass start, but they're all smaller numbers. It, it just you can't do the large events. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And again, talking about my race in the Keys, a big part of that is the social aspect of packet pickup the night before the race. And especially afterwards, we have a huge party that goes on for hours and hours, lots of food, lots of beer and everything else on the beach in Key yeah. West. That social aspect is likely not to be possible next year. So, but we, you know, we still don't really know, but I, I think you're right. It's, um, and that really impacts the experience a lot. So yeah. We'll we'll just have have to see, you know. I, but I do agree. But now there are still a few races, and I signed up for a number of them this fall. I wanted to get a hundred miler under my belt, uh, having on my resume when I applied to run Badwater next year, hoping I could run it again. Yeah. And um, everything was canceled, but I did find one, uh, Pony Express 100 in Utah. That's on next month. It's very small. It's very remote. You have to have your own crew. Okay. But I will be, that's what I'm training for. And I will be running that, actually running it with Lisa Smith Batchin next next month. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I know because most of them have been canceled. I had a couple of friends that were doing some and and they've all been put off till to next year. It's interesting. Right. Two weeks ago, um, and I don't think I told you when we talked, is, you know, I have a friend who's a race director and, you know, it's the same thing, struggling as all the things been canceled. So he came up with a race, basically the ultimate social distance is, we found it was a 12-hour race. You could do a six-hour or 12-hour. And we found out a couple hours before the race where the start was. And then the goal was to get as far away from that start within the six or 12 hours going in any direction you wanted to. And it didn't matter how many miles you went. It was all by the GPS, by the crow flies. Um, Love it. So it was, it was great. Now, most of us ended up taking the same route, but it, it was it was pretty much social distance here. We're going to start you here and just scatter, just go in any that direction. Is, that is fabulous. <laughs> I love it. Was everybody self, I mean, you know, self-supported or? Yeah, it was self. So, or? No. So what happened, you had two options. You can either do it aided where you actually could use your GPS, which is what I did with a friend. And uh, we ended up going six hours, got 26 miles, but. As far as the G, uh, the crow flies, we only made it about 23. Um, but it was, yeah, because you have to go by the crow flies to get your, you know, to get okay. that far. Um, so you could wander in circles all day long or all night long and, and not get anywhere. Um, so you gotcha. had, so you could either be aided where we could use the GPS or you could do it unaided where basically you had two hours to figure out your route. And then you had to pretty much, you could go to the stores, you can hit gas stations yeah. but you're pretty much on your own carrying your own stuff it was interesting it was a great event so you try to find basically a straight road and keep going is that the idea that's the goal was to find a straighter road as you can now the problem is ah. here in in uh, central uh north carolina it's pretty hilly so we did a you're up and down a lot of hills for the straightest route but it, it was a great event it was fun i think we had a good time we had a couple people that in 12 hours made it uh, 42 miles, I think, was the most they made by the crow flies, but they almost did 50 miles in that time frame to do it. Yeah, 
That's great. You see, you're in Central North Carolina, but that doesn't look like Central North Carolina behind you. No, that actually is. Um, uh, my mother-in-law lives in uh, Englewood, uh, Florida, which is north of Port Charlotte. So yeah, sure. we go down every now and then to visit her. So I always have to take my bike and bike down to the beach and, you know, have that nice little beach picture in the background. Uh, okay. So that's not live. All right. Fair <laughs> no, enough. No, 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 no. It's not live. I wish it was. Right, so Well, I'm down in Fort Lauderdale. It's pretty hot down here, but still it's uh why not? Why not go to the beach if you can, right? Yeah. So how long have you been doing the, the keys race? Uh, this would have been our 13th year. So, um, the actual first year was 2008, but in 2007, uh, five of us decided to get down there and run the keys, run the length of the keys to see if it would be viable for a race. Cause, because it was nothing, there were no ultras down here in South Florida. Okay. So we did, and we, you know, we kind of, we concluded, yeah, this could be something and having no idea what we were getting into. I went ahead and put it on in 2008 for the first time. Okay. What are your numbers? Like how many do you usually get? We generally have a thousand to 1100 every year. Okay. Um, We've got a, like last year, I think we had, last year, meaning 2019, I think we had about 265 people registered for the 100 miler. Then we have a 50 miler and a 50K and a 100 mile six person team relay. Okay. So uh, it's that combination. And um, we were going to add a 50 mile three person relay this year. it's never got off the ground, of course, but yeah. But basically, that's it. Those, those, uh, that's the mix of of distance. Okay, that's good to know because uh, it's funny. I have a couple friends. They've done uh, Moab uh, 100 and uh, Ante- Antelope uh, Canyon, and we're always right. looking. They're always pushing, saying, "Hey, let's go some. Let's go do another one." And so, when I saw yours, I'm like, "Hey, this may be something we may need to look at because I think it's going to be easier sell to our spouses and to our families to go to Key West than to like go in the middle of nowhere." <laughs> well, Key West is a wonderful place to, for a little R and R, no question about it. Um, you're asking about my races, I, yeah. I, and I said earlier that um, I just didn't think a virtual race made any sense for, yeah. for the Keys. But actually, what uh, what's happened over the last couple months is. Um, I kind of changed my mind, but thought that I would have to create a, a differentiator for the for the keys that would somehow separate it from most of the other virtual races, like you know, circumnavigating Ohio or something. Yeah. So I started working with a friend of mine on a video, um, actually running the entire length of the keys using uh, using video uh, on foot or riding a bike, using aerial drone footage. Okay. And then in, inserting in certain spots along the way, video clips and still photos from previous races. So the idea is, the idea is as you watch the video, it's very much immersive yeah, so that you like to look around and you see people and you see what would have been going on if in fact you were in the keys running the race. So what we've done is we've, uh, we're on the, we just Tuesday, September 1st, open registration for what's called the Keys 100 Experience. Okay. And we've taken this video and divided it into 10 mile segments, each one of them uh, about four minutes long, basically aid station to aid station if you were running the, the real race. So you start in Key Largo, the first video takes you 10 miles down uh, to Coral Shores High School. Okay. And you're actually watching what would be going on if you were out there on the race. So the idea is you watch the video, you kind of have this vision of what the keys looks like in your mind. Yeah. You've got to run your 10 miles wherever you are, come back and then do the second 10 miles. Okay. And um, 
we're offering like um, you can do it in a regulation 32 hours or 10 days or 50 days. Okay. So it gives a lot of people fast, slow and total slow walkers a chance to experience this. And I only mention it because we've got a little one minute, uh, like a little teaser video that gives you an idea what it's all about that I'd love to send you the link to. So you, you and your friends can take a look. It gives you an idea what the race, what the race itself is about. Okay. Never the, the virtual race. Absolutely. I love it. So how would people register for it? Uh, go right online to the key. You can go right to keys100.com. Okay. And just look at the main menu line. It says the experience and just click on that. So, um, and you know, it does what a lot of these other virtual races do where you can actually track your time and your distance on run sign up, see where you stand and see where you are on a map of the, your, what your progress is on a map of the keys. But because it's the keys and it's uh, there's so much water and it's so yeah. interesting and different, it, it really is. A, I think it's going to be a very different kind of virtual experience than than most others. And the swag's kind of cool too. So. Hey, I love it. Yeah. I, you know, thinking outside the box. You know, I think that's the way that we're all going to get through this. And I love doing stuff like that. So okay, yeah, definitely, I'll take a look at that. And please uh, do, yeah, I will. So when did you get started doing? ultras i guess it looks like you've been a runner for a long time but yeah well i actually i i played sports my whole life as an adult i really didn't run i ran and i ran the mile in high school and then uh i you know stayed in shape and went to the gym ran a little bit but i didn't race at all uh until really some i moved to florida just shy of 20 years ago and i ran a couple of 5ks down here but that's all and then in 2002, I had some friends in Minnesota where I had been living before we moved here and said, hey, we're going to run grandma's marathon. Why don't you come up and join us? Yep. I said, okay, well, it sounds like a chance to party with my friends. So <laughs> literally went out and bought a pair of running shoes and asked the guy in a running shoe store, what do I do now? And he said, well, call this guy, John Hall. He runs a marathon training group and he'll get you ready. So, so yeah, so I ran grandma's in 2002 and I ran well and I qualified for Boston. I said, okay, I got to do that. So. I ran Boston in 2003 and I was training with a different group. One of whom said to me the following year, did you ever hear of the marathon to Sable? It's a, it's an ultra marathon. And I said, no. I said, what's an ultra marathon? I went, you know, I went home and checked it out. <laughs> so 2005 was the next year of MBS marathon to Sable. And I said to Jared, my friend, the following week, uh, aren't you turning 40 next year? He said, yeah. And I said, well, I'm turning 60. Why don't we go do that as a birthday present? And that's kind of how it happened. So I ran MDS as my first ultra in 2005. That was, that was, that was it. So it was 15, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. And that's in the Sahara, right? It is. It's in Morocco in the Sahara. Yeah. And it's a stage race that I, and I, I love stage races. They're great. Okay. It, I just totally fell in love with the sport, with the camaraderie, with just the whole vibe of it. And um, yeah, I never, other than, other than using uh, marathons as a training vehicle, I never did a marathon again. I just okay. went right to altars and stayed with them. Okay. So how many times did you do uh, Badwater before you decided to do the double? Uh, I did bad. I did Badwater three times, and the third time is when I did the double. Okay. So I and I did it as part. I did the race as the first half or the first part of it. So a lot of times people do the double, and it's not they don't incorporate the race, but that's what I did. So. I ran the race and then summited Whitney and then went back to Badwater Bays. And that was, that was uh, five years ago. Yeah. You were what? 70 when you. I was 70. Yeah. 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 So I became the oldest guy to, well, I became the oldest guy to actually finish the bat, the original Badwater 146 route as okay. well as double. So 
And I want to go back next year. The, the, the oldest guy to ever finish the race itself was 75. It's a Brett, Jack Vaness. And um, I'd like to break the old age record. So, you know, hopefully I'll get lucky and get in. And that's what I'd like to do. That's my next goal. Okay. What was your experience of doing that event? Oh, I love Badwater. Yeah. I just, I just love the, I just love the race. Um, it's, uh, it's very well done. Uh, you know, you only have a hundred runners and it's, some very, very fine runners, which yeah. certainly doesn't include me, but <laughs> middle and backpackers are, you know, out there struggling to get it done. And I, it's, it's just everything a race ought to be. I love it. Okay. Yeah. It looks like uh, a pretty cool, cool event other than it looks like very hot too. Well, it is. <laughs> I, this, this will actually be my, I, I well, cause no one went this year cause it was canceled, but this will be my 14th straight year out there, either running or crewing for somebody or volunteering. Wow. I, I don't miss it. I mean, I just, it's just great. It's a great race. And I'd recommend if you ever get a chance to crew for somebody, you know, you should do it. You, you, you'll get it once you yeah. have that opportunity. Yeah. So uh, race for the ages. So yeah. how did you, I know you did it the second year, right? Cause it, it would have, it should have been happening this weekend, I believe. It is happening right now. Actually. So it is still yeah, happening. I didn't know. Yeah, it yeah, still... it is happening. It's a smaller field, but it's happening. Yeah. Okay. So how'd you see that and how'd you get involved with that? Um, yeah, I think last year was the, either the fourth or fifth year okay. and it's one of Laz, you know, Lazarus Lakes races, Gary Cantrell, actually yep. his wife really kind of manages this one, but actually Mike Melton who times that race and he's the ultimate ultra marathon race timer around the country and times all my races. Mike mentioned it to me Okay. and, um, I thought about it and the more I looked at what it was, I thought I might be able to, uh, to do well. Yeah. And um, when I decided to run the race, I, I really targeted the notion of being able to win it and, and actually even set the record. Okay. Um, I was, I'm very realistic about my limitations, what I can and can't do. <laughs> and when I thought about the, uh, how that works, I felt I, I, I developed a strategy that I thought might work if all the stars aligned, and it did. So yeah. for anybody that doesn't know about ARFTA or a race for the ages, it's a fixed time race, but rather than like, you know, everybody gets 12 hours to see how far you can go. The number of hours you have is equal to your age. So at 74 last year, I had 74 hours to do this thing, see how far I could get. Um, and that's kind of the whole point. So it developed, you know, you have a lot of older runners that run this thing. And uh, yeah, I just, I, you know, I, I thought it would work for me. It was a one mile, you know, one mile paved loop. Basically, you keep going to your brain dead, and you know that's kind of you know I'm half halfway there anyway. So no problem. Uh, yeah, so I just developed this. You, in fact, you had asked me when we were talking about doing this about my strategy, and I knew I'd probably wind up running about half, walking about half, and instead of just running until I couldn't run anymore, and then doing a death march. Yeah, I decided to break it down and do a literally a one minute run, one minute walk. I started training with that. Yeah. What I found was that I could keep a faster pace running the one minute because I was recovering very quickly mm -hmm. and I was able to stay consistent and keep that up the whole, the whole time, 230 miles, 74 hours. It just worked for me. And, um, so yeah, so that's what happened. It was, uh, you know, it was a good day. <laughs> yeah. So you've never done that before that race. No, no. The closest thing I've done is a I did a 24 hour race called Icarus ultra fest here in Fort Lauderdale, similar idea, but, uh, 
no, I've done a couple of 12 hour races and I actually was a race director for a 24 hour race a few years ago, but no, never did, never done anything that like that. No. Okay. And then as far as like the one minute, uh, run walk, have you done that since, or is that the only event you've done it with? No. Well, what, what's, what happened was the year, about a year and a half before the last time I ran Havelina hundred, yeah. you know, familiar with Havelina, it's a multiple loops, but the last loop I was struggling, <clears throat> excuse me. And I just kind of fell into a, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, one minute run, one minute walk cadence yeah. just kind of happened. And it carried me through that last 20 or 25 miles. And I thought well, that's something to keep in the back of my mind. So yeah. that's what I decided to do because at, at Arctic, cause I knew I'd be up there for so long. Um, and I, I am going to probably use that when I do this race, uh, this hundred miler, in the Utah desert next month, that or something similar to it. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I haven't had that much time to train this year. And, uh, I think for me, that's going to probably be a good solution, but we'll see. It's interesting. So, you know, when I first saw your story and saw that's what you did and we had talked that, you know, uh, on this month, um, I turned 51 and I have a friend who's got a race, same thing. It's a one mile loop. It's a 12 mile race. And I'm like, well, maybe I'll go out there and see if I can try to put down 51. And, and I'm thinking I haven't been training as much as I, as I need to at this point. And I'm like, I wonder if I'll try that. So I went out the first day and I didn't set my watch and I'm looking at my watch every minute. I'm like, how did he do this? I'm like, I'm just like, how do we do this? And then the next time I made sure I set my watch and at least my watch vibrated every minute. So I didn't have to think about it. And honestly, it worked. I felt fantastic um, doing it. So we're actually doing a, we have Pilot Mountain here in North Carolina um, is basically, it's about 1200 feet up and down. So we're going to go run that tomorrow morning with some friends. And I know part of it, I'm going to try to do that again, just to just to, it makes it so much easier because you can run faster um, for that for that brief 60 seconds. Anybody can run a minute, and then you're walking, and it's amazing how quickly you recover. And so, yeah, I'm, I'll be curious one tomorrow, and then really in a couple of weeks when I try to do that, how that how that works. But um, it's intriguing. Good, yeah. I mean, it, I don't think it really works. It'd be interesting, interesting to see how it works on a hilly or yeah. mountainous race. Yeah. I mean, that really for me it would be more like for a fl- for fl- for flat territory. Yeah. yeah. Because if it's a really steep steep hilly race, I'm going to probably walk the ups yeah. and want to run the downs anyway. So, yeah. um, but on the flat sections, I mean, I, you know, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, so how much sleep did you get during that race? That- Not a whole lot. Um, I went the. the I went 24 hours and I did eight, I can't quite remember, eight, maybe 85 or 90 miles. And then uh, I actually went back to the hotel, which wasn't that far away, to shower and sleep for a couple hours. And I was probably gone for three or four hours altogether. That was the last time I left the course, but I had a little eight, personal aid station set up and I took some 20 minute naps. And I think at one point I would nap for about an hour and a half. But that was it. Uh, okay. Not a whole lot of sleep. I, you know, it was all adrenaline. Okay. So it felt pretty good then by the time you finished. Yeah, I was ready for uh ready for ready to sleep then. But yeah, I mean <laughs> I felt better than I had a right to feel after a, well, that, that long. Yeah. Well that's good too, but you had a target in sight. So that's the other thing that you know, without that two twenty eight sitting there in front of you that you were trying to beat, I'm sure that also provided that nice little motivation that you gotta keep going. No question about <laughs> it. And uh there were a couple of younger guys in there 
late forties or early fifties, one of whom had run the race, won the race before who were really fast. And of course they started well after I did. Yeah. Um, and you know, they would, you know, every, for every loop I did, they would do, you know, three, not quite. I mean, they, they yeah. were, they were really fast. So the later it got, the more concerned I had, that they were going to catch me. And that motivated me too, to keep, yeah. to keep rocking and rolling. Right. Yeah. And then we reached a point where it looked like they were going to run out of time and they did. So, yeah. You know, I was able to slow down a little bit. Yeah, very interesting, very different kind of race. Yeah, what was interesting to me when I was looking at the totals that you were not the oldest person. There were 25 people older than you. It was (laughs) remarkable. You know, I went, when you go there, you, you, the oldest person starts first, right? Yeah. And the oldest person picks up bib number one, the second oldest person bib number two. Well, I'm almost always these days the oldest person in the race or close to it. And when I picked up number 26, I could not believe it. <laughs> 25 people older than me. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And the oldest I saw was 87, Donald yep. Jans, and he did 109 miles. Isn't that unbelievable? <laughs> he never stopped. Really? He never stopped. The guy was unbelievable. Yeah. Really? So he just kept going the whole time? He just kept walking. <laughs> I mean, I think he, I, he must have taken some sleep breaks, but... Uh, seemed like he was always there you know he wasn't very fast anymore and he was plodding along but boy he was just just the, you know the bunny and he kept going that that's amazing and, to me when i saw very impressive. 87 yeah. and 109 miles i mean that yeah. was that was incredible yeah. it, was, it was really pretty good pretty cool okay so have you had to deal with any injuries yeah in fact i was uh scribbling down some notes which I have a, a word doc that I can't look at because I'm looking at you right no. now. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, Marathon de Saab, um, I actually wound up breaking my femur, fracturing my femur. So I've had three major and one minor uh, injury type things in the 15 years I've been doing ultras. So that was the first. And um, I came back home and wound up having a steel plate and screws put in my hip. And it was quite a long, slow recovery period from that. Okay. Um, and I started running again that winter. And then in early 2006, I found I had prostate cancer. So I had surgery to remove my prostate and then there was recovery from that. Yeah. Um, but then really nothing, nothing really happened until, uh, after ARFTA, I developed some pretty bad plantar fasciitis and that kept me from running for a few months. And then I had my shoulder replaced this past February. Okay. And then of course COVID showed up. So yeah. I mean, there were long periods where I had no real injuries, you know, usual, you know, bang yourself up a little bit, take yeah. some time off. No, no, no serious issues other than those things. Fortunately. Good. That's good. So I'm how running. much are you running right now a week? Not as much as I should. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, last week I ran uh, about 60 miles and this week it'll be just shy of 50. Um, actually, I'm trying to build my miles up a little bit because I've got six weeks until this race in Utah. Okay. which kind of came upon me pretty suddenly. I, I didn't know about it. So, yeah. um, you know, I won't be in great shape when I'm out there, but you know, we'll figure it out. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I do some weights and core work about uh, three days a week here at home. Okay. Uh, don't dare go to the gym these days. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I'm running usually five, sometimes six days a week and uh, I try to pick the mileage up some over the next four weeks before taper a little bit. Okay, what do you pe- so let's go pre-COVID before a race. How much do you think you ran a week? Uh, pr- probably seventy miles, seventy-five miles. Never much more than that. Okay. Uh, but also, it's you know part of that would be pulling a tire behind me as a technique, training technique. Or, okay. 
Um, you know, it's totally flat here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, but yeah. there's a bridge not too far away and uh, back and forth over the bridge, climbing stairs, doing whatever you can to simulate hill running if, yeah. there, if there are hills in a race. Um, so, yeah, it's not necessarily just straight running or it might be running on the sand. Uh, but that's about all the miles that that I can uh, that I can do and not injure myself. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, for every major race I've ever done, Lisa Smith Batchin has coached me for every one of them. Okay. I have complete complete trust in in her t- training uh, technique and how she adapts everything to the individual client. So you know, she has a training her training program for me that I stick to pretty religiously is not going to be the same as it would be for you or a guy yeah. 20, 25 years younger, you know? Yeah. So yeah, that, that amount of mileage is about right for me. That's good. And then, you know, so as far as the heat goes, are you running all times a day? Obviously the heat's probably is actually probably a good conditioner for you as well, but what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. I, tr- I try to, you know, I'm, I don't have a death wish either. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it depends on the race that I'm going to be doing, but mostly I'm trying to run fairly early in the morning. So it's not too, too hot. Okay. I may be done at 10, 11 o'clock. Um, most days, um, at least once a week, I also run late afternoon into the evening with, uh, with a group keeping properly distanced, but it's yeah. something we've been doing for 20 years. Okay. Um, but I don't generally go out in the heat of the real heat of the day unless it's going to be a hot weather race, like for bad water next year, if I get in, I'll do much more, more of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just to condition yourself. So do you do a lot of split running? Like you'd running twice a day sometimes? I do. Yeah. Not a lot, but uh, again, it depends on where I am in the training cycle. Yeah. But at least once or twice a week. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's good. How about any uh, cycling or swimming or anything? No, I, 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 I don't have a bike. Uh, I think you like taking your life into your own hands to bike down here on these roads. Yeah. I mean, plenty of people do, but I, yeah. I don't. Yeah. And I've never been much of a swimmer. So no, I'm just a boring old runner only kind of guy. That's it. You know, that and lift weights and uh, that's about it. Hey, that works though. That's good. And yeah, this, how about stretching? Do you do a lot of stretching? <laughs> I don't do anywhere near as much stretching as I should. <laughs> my everlasting chagrin and to hers. Uh, I used to do some yoga, hot yoga. I don't yeah. really do much of that anymore either. I, you know, I, I know what I should do and, um, anybody listening, uh, stretching really is important. Yeah. And, uh, if you're into yoga or can get into doing it, it's fabulous, but I don't do as much of it as I should. And somehow I'm able to survive without doing it. Yeah. I think again, depends on your range of motion and what you're doing. So if you're not all out sprints and, you know, taking big steps, you know, you probably have enough range of motion to at least do the the activity that you're doing. So it's just up the hills and things you have. It's good to have some flexibility. Right. Well, and I'm, you know, I am working out too, and that helps a little yep. bit too. Uh, but I, I, there's no excuse for not stretching. I mean, it, yeah. you know, shame on me, right? Yeah. Because it does make a difference. Okay. No so how about for you, as far as nutrition goes, do you follow any specific diet or are you pretty much doing anything? Um, I pretty much do do whatever I want to do. Okay. My, my diet's quite moderate. I don't eat a huge amount of meat, uh, but I'm not a vegetarian either. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll eat a lot of fish and, um, you know, but a moderate diet seems to work for me. Okay. And uh, I don't do anything really particularly special when I'm training for a race. Okay. Um, and my weight tends to be pretty consistent all the time. Uh, I find what works for me in a race and stay with that. Okay. And, you know, after a workout, I'll generally drink a, a 
a container of muscle milk light, which gives me some fat and protein and a, yeah. a few calories. And that tends to keep me going. I mean, it tends to work. Okay. And then during, I know you've had a lot of races, but I'm sure not all go perfect. But as far as in races, you're pretty good with your nutrition. Do you have a lot of GI stuff? No, I didn't, I don't have GI issues usually. Good. And it's mostly because, you know, I, I dialed in what works for me. And if I have a crew, like a race like Badwater or my Keys 100 race, yeah. for example, or plenty of others, um, or a or access to my own uh, aid station or, or support, I'll generally um, stick to something like this. Every hour I know I'm going to take in 200 to 250 calories. That's about all I can digest properly. Okay. And I'm going to drink, it's mostly going to be liquid or gels. So I'll drink half a bottle of Ensure okay. uh, every hour, which is about 130 calories and again, some fat and protein. And on the other half hour, I'll have a gel or something else that'll give me another 100 calories or so. That's all the caloric intake I need. And okay. then I'll generally drink water, sometimes tailwind, usually water. Okay. But along the way, I'll stop and drink uh, you know, Gatorade or some tailwind or a Coke. So I'm picking up a few calories here and there and yeah. uh, continuing to hydrate. And um, I use uh, typically some type of a, a salt capsule like salt stick or I've used yeah. a number of different products. But uh, I, I do it that way rather than getting uh, salt and minerals through a, through a fluid. Okay. generally okay and that work and that works for me and at night try to get some ramen noodles and uh, or some soup and occasionally something solid or uh, yeah. you know chips or cookies or you know junk food or sometimes a peanut butter sandwich it really just depends but it's pretty for me it's pretty simple yeah. it works well uh, i don't have gi problems and i don't get tired of eating this stuff so that's yeah. what i go to that's good how long did it take you to do the bad water double well, the race itself, I finished in about uh, 40, about 40 and a half or 41 hours. Okay. And then it took a, uh, a you know, the, the double is not like a race where you yeah. have a final amount of time, right? Yeah. So uh, when we started the next morning, it was, uh, oh, I think we started about three in the morning and we summited, got back down very, very slow coming back. And we, we got lost once actually, got back about one the next morning. And I actually took an extra day to recover because my feet were really beat up. Okay. And we took our time getting back to Badwater Basin. So all in, it took about seven days to okay to start to the finish. Okay. Yeah. We, so we I won't try to break a record. Okay. Yeah. You're just the goal was just to finish the time. So finish you did it. sleep a little bit in there. Um, yeah. And so okay. Yeah. I didn't to, know. Yeah, I did. yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was a continuous. Just I'm like that's impressive. I wonder how many how long that would take to do that. <laughs> well, pe people do it. But yeah. you, you need to sleep some. I mean, it's just, it's it's a very difficult race and the amount of climbing is very significant and Whitney's eminently doable, but it's yeah. not an easy climb. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot of work. So, and you get to the top and that's great, but you got to get back down. So um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, and the heat is going to, the heat's after you, whether on both the way out and the way back. So yeah, you, uh, you need to be smart about it unless, you, again, you're really just trying to go for the, go for the record. So most people sleep some, yes. Okay. So you, I saw that you've crewed for people that have run across the United States. Have you haven't done that? No, I haven't. And, um, at this point in my life, probably not on the bucket list. Um, <laughs> yeah, I crewed, actually crewed for Marshall Ulrich when he went across in 2008, Okay, which was uh, an amazing experience. And yeah, I, I love that. I love to crew for people. I do it whenever I can. And, yeah. every, you know, most years of bad water, that's what I'm doing. 
Yeah, that's pretty cool. So how about like a normally, how are you with sleep? Do you sleep, get a good night's sleep or are you? Yeah, I never have trouble falling asleep. That's okay. a, a real blessing. And I can sleep anywhere. You know, people who tell me I, they can't sleep on an airplane, for example, I feel sorry for them because that's a, what else are you doing on an airplane? Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, sleep is good. I, I usually sleep um, five or six hours a night. Okay. Uh, usually not a lot more than that. Uh, sometimes a little longer if I'm, you know, sometimes a little longer, but okay. generally that's about right. Okay. So you said you have a coach that's set up your training programs. Now, uh, does she work in any sprint stuff? Or are you doing all, what are your training intensities like? Again, it depends on the, on the okay. race, Yep. but generally I'm only going to have Lisa coach you if I'm doing a real long, you know, a major type of race and it's not going to be a, I, you know, it's probably not going to be a 50 K. All right. Okay. So speed is generally not an important part of it. Um, but I, I'll do more, um, I'll do more, I'll do some speed, some speed work, some pickups in the training process. Or for example, uh, I might have a, my strategy might be to use the example we've been talking about a one minute, one run, one minute walk sequence during the race, but I'll do uh, much more running to walking in some of my training regimens. Right. So okay. um, I'm building more, more of the run, run side. Okay. And, uh, you know, on Thursday nights, for example, I do a five mile run with friends and that's a straight run. So, yeah. um, I get, you know, I get, you, you break it up a little bit. You need to do that. Yeah. And, uh, but no real sprint work like I used to do. Okay. Not really. Okay. And, um, and again, yeah, for the long distance, you probably really don't need that. Um, are you watching your heart rate at all? Um, Early on, I used to. I don't anymore. Again, that has not been a real problem for me. Okay. And so I just, it's just not one thing I pay a whole lot of attention to. I'll tell you that it's, you know, it's funny. I uh, last year there was a, a local running group here, a training group, that decided to put on a 5K for its 20th anniversary as a training group, and they invited all the local area race directors to come out and run. And so I thought I'm going to embarrass myself and go out here and. My goal was to try to run under 30 minutes, which is staggeringly slow. Yeah. But that was it. And I was able to do it. And I kind of actually thought pretty, I was pretty proud of myself. <laughs> I did no speed work at all. Right. So, yeah, it's pretty pathetic. But, um, you know, I kicked it in at least at least 10 minute mile pace. <laughs> miles. Sad. Hey, that's good, though. You know, hey, but you can probably outrun everybody there. I'll put together. Well, I don't know about that. But, you know, there's a certain degree of insanity that's involved in uh, as a prerequisite to doing this stuff. So maybe there's that. Yeah, no, I understand that. Like I said, you know, I've uh, just making that transition. I've worked my way up to doing an Ironman, and now I'm, I'm dabbling and heading that direction in the ultra. And I think you have to have a, a little bit of insanity. My wife just looks at me and says, "You're doing what? Why do you why what why are you doing that? What's the purpose? Is this for charity? Yeah. It better be for charity." So you know. it's always the first reaction. Well, I'll tell you, I have great respect for guys like you that do tries. It's just like you asked me earlier. I'm, yeah. I'm not a swimmer, and I haven't biked in a long time. And yeah, I, I think I think it's phenomenal. Good for you. Yeah. It. it hey, anything that's going to keep me moving, and you know, I. I my goal again is to start try to make some transition to what you're doing again. I, I'm not going to podium anywhere, but again, it's just I'm going to enjoy it and one foot in front of the other. And the experience, I think, is the biggest thing of all. Which and I love the community, whether it's the triathlon community or even the ultra 
running community. It's incredible. It, it's the people are the, so supportive and so helpful and willing to, you know, because I think we all have that little bit of crazy gene in us that that's why we do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's that. And for me, it's been very gratifying in a lot of other ways, too. I've run races around the world that um, I just never would have been to these places otherwise. Yeah. Um, a couple of years ago, I ran a race. It's probably not. If you were looking at my resume on run, yeah. run, uh, run sign up, it's not there. It's the Mount Gaolagong Ultra, which was um, in southwestern China in an area near the Burma or Myanmar border. Okay. And it happened to be uh, an area that during World War, II, World War II, my father flew over in B-25 bomber. Okay. So it was an area that held a lot of uh, interest and uh, being there and being on the ground where literally 75 years earlier, if I looked up, my dad would have been there. Wow. Pretty emotional, uh, pretty emotional. And there are very few, uh, there aren't a huge number of ultra runners anyway in China, but very few old guys like me. Yeah. So, uh, and in that part of the world during World War II, that's where the Japanese advance was stopped and turned around with American and Chinese troops fighting alongside each other. Yeah. So they revere Americans, just revere them. And it was an amazing experience. There were, I don't know, 12 or 15 Americans among the people that ran that race. It was the first time. Yeah. And uh, the way we were treated and the, the whole emotion of it and having a chance to talk to those people about this notion of inspiring other old timers to be more active was, you know, it's just a great thing. So, you know, I've run there, I've run in Brazil, I've run in Greece, I've run in Morocco, I've run in Canada, you know, places I probably, you know, may or may not have ever gone to before. So yeah, um, that's one of the wonderful things about the sport too. That's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. I read that on your bio. Um, it's on your race director bio for the keys 100. Uh, I saw that. That is incredible. Um, so, what do you have any special mantras or quotes that you use to get you through, especially with these longer uh, races? Yeah, I don't really have a mantra per se, um, but a couple of things. One of which is, you know, I chose to be here. So when yeah. I'm having my, you know, my <laughs> my bad moments, which we all do, you can't can't not have them in a race like this. Yeah, that's always a reminder to myself. This was this was my choice. And the second thing is to remind myself how fabulous it feels to cross that finish line. Yeah. That sense of accomplishment. Uh, that's you can't, you can't ever take that away. So, <laughs> you know, I've had my DNFs, I've had my bad moments, but those are the things I try to remind myself. Uh, and that's about as close to a mantra as I can get. Yeah, that's good. So on your DNF, how do they affect you? Well, they're very, very frustrating. Of yeah. course. Um, and I can tell you that in, I ran Spartathlon in Greece actually twice. And both years, I got to about 40 miles and along with having terrible uh, cap cramp and Charlie horsing. Yeah. And in that race, you very, you have very little, very, very tight time limits. There are eight stations every couple of miles, and there's a time cutoff at every single one. Yeah. So there's really no time to sit down and work out the kinks and recover. And um, so I ran it twice and never went back again because I figured, you know, this, whatever it is about this race, it's just not for me. Maybe I'm not fast enough. Yeah. Um, and the other biggest frustration actually was Western States yeah. two years ago. Um, I wound up arriving out there, got off the airplane and got very, very sick. Mm. And um, it was like a flu and I, it was, it was all on my chest and I was a mess. I mean, I shouldn't even have gone to the starting line. Yeah. And um, I was hacking and just, I just, I, I had no energy. By the time I got 30 miles in, I was done. Yeah. So the, 
total re- total regret that that happened, but there wasn't anything I could do about it. Nope. You know, it was just one of those things. So um, that was probably the most frustrating ever because that you know the likelihood of getting into Western again is pretty slim. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was too bad. But hey, you know, it, it's it, it's what happens any on any given day, right? You yeah, know. it is, and I think that's the hard part. You know, we've uh, is it's you got to live the fight another day. So not every yeah. day is going to be the going to be, you know, perfect. So it, it's to know that it's not worth it. Cause again, there's going to be another race and again, you can always go back or you can always do something else. And the, honestly, the, the amount of races you have finished and done fantastic in a couple here and there is, is, you know, that we're going to have those, they're, they're going to happen sometimes. So. But you know, the other thing I know to your audience is an older audience. So I, if I may yep. suggest this, right. Yep. It's also, I've also learned to recognize what makes sense for me to do and what doesn't make sense. So for example, living here in South Florida where it's totally flat, it's really hard for me to train for a race like Hardwalk, Hardwalk, excuse me, or Leadbrook, right? Yeah. And, you know, I'll do a hilly race like, you know, Western, I've done the World Creek, I've done, you know, I've done the, the Trans Rockies a couple of years ago. I mean, I've done hilly mountainous races, but they're not this they're not the best thing for me because it's really hard for me to train for them. Yeah. So for me, I'm better off training for, for flatter races. And also there are almost no trails here. Yeah. So I'm better off looking at road races or pavement type races. Yeah. If I lived in Colorado, it would be a totally different situation. So yeah. whoever is uh, perhaps listening and thinking about this stuff, you know, look at what, where you're able to train, uh, you know, what your strengths are and, and um, what you're able to best prepare for and choose your races accordingly. That's what I would recommend. Yeah, great lesson. I think that's perfect. Uh, pretty much on my emails, I use the hashtag my miles are for as a way to kind of reinforce why I do things. Why do you do the things you're doing? Uh, basically because I can. Okay. And I really mean that, all right? Uh, in my age, I'm still able to do these things and um, I will continue to do so as long as I can, you know, in part because I love doing it and I, I love it. I love the running community. I, I love the camaraderie of the sport and um, I have a lot of friends and I love getting out there and seeing them. And then the other reason that they said was that um, if by doing it, I can inspire some other people to get some exercise and get out and move where they might not otherwise have done it. I, that's, that's good enough for me. Okay. So, yeah, that's pretty much it. So then, so at age 74 now, where do you see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> well, I'm actually 75, so uh, okay. yeah. Uh, you know, it's really hard to know. I, can I keep doing this for another 10 years? I, you know, I hope so. Yeah. But it's it's really hard to know. Uh, next year, my when I'm 76 again, my big goal is to yeah. run the Badwater series and and try to break the age record at Badwater. Um, and then I'm thinking about that. And I'm saying, well, what's going to happen when I'm 80? Yeah. Uh, what if I go to Badwater again? I don't, you know. At that point, it just becomes a question of what my body will let me do. Yeah. Um, sometimes my heart says one thing, and my body says something else. But um, again, as long as I can stay healthy and uh, and keep training and not make a damn fool of myself out there, I'm <laughs> going to try to try to continue doing what I love to do. It's just a wonderful, wonderful sport. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, so you have a race for the ages, so the 87, so that you can put that out there that you got to try to get to <laughs> be the oldest participant in that that event. Uh, <laughs> I, I should only live so long. <laughs> that that's still incredible to me. Um, uh, actually, I did have another question, but now I've, yeah, I just sure. lost my train of thought on that. Sure. Um, as far as um, 
people making that transition, um, let's say like me, who've not done, I've done 38 miles is the most I've ever, I've ever done. Um, so this 51 next week that I'm going to try to do is, is another huge step uh, forward for me. What advice do you have for those people that are thinking, you know, I think I want to get into doing that. Maybe they're not the, in the 70, 80 year old people. Let's think about in the even forties and fifties that really were, I think that's probably the average age of most people that are doing this. Um, what advice do you have to them? Well, I, I, what I, I would not advise to run marathon to sob is your first ultra. Let me put it that way. <laughs> stage, stage races are a blast, but maybe not the first time. So, um, out of two things, really. One would be, you know, pick a shorter distance ultra like a 50k or a 50 miler, and uh, or something like a 12 hour race. Yeah. And get your feet wet. You know, get used to the idea of uh, how your body reacts and what you need to do to stay properly hydrated and fed and all the rest of it. And, uh, and then, so build it up, you know, but yeah. don't jump right into a hundred miler. I mean, people do, but it's yeah. probably not the, always the smartest thing. And then the other thing is if you have an opportunity to crew for somebody yeah. at a longer race, like Badwater or like my race in the keys or, yeah. uh, this pony express 100 that I'm doing next month. I and mean, there are quite a few races that where the runner has to have a crew. And if you can work in a support capacity, not only are you helping your running friend, but you're learning a lot as well, especially for a longer race. Yeah. Um, and many of them will allow you to pace as well. So you get to get some, get some running in as well. I highly recommend that as a really a great way to, to get to feel how a much longer distance will, will work for you. So for what it's worth. Okay. That's good. So then I'm going to follow up that question then with when you've been a pacer, I know every runner is different. I've had people trying to push me through a marathon and I'm like, don't even talk to me. I, I don't want to talk to you right now. Um, but how is that delicate balance as a pacer of knowing how to push somebody and not push somebody? Because I think that's probably a fear for some people as they pace is like, one, am I going to slow them down? Or two, am I going to help them, you know, be positive for them and not bring them down? <laughs> well, p- pacing is not always, is not always the same thing. Okay. Yeah. So for example, what you're suggesting and implying, which is sometimes the case, is where you're kind of out in front of the runner trying yeah. to set the pace for the runner, keep them moving and so on. That's one type of pacing. The other is where you actually run next to or even behind the runner, like yeah. a bad water, you run behind the runner. So okay. your job is not so much to keep them at a certain pace as it is to keep them motivated. Okay. Uh, maybe talk to them if maybe they don't want you to talk to them. Um, but to, you know, remind them what's going on, pay attention to, um, pay attention to what the pace is like and pay attention to what their condition is. If they start struggling, it's okay to walk. You know, yeah. it really is. If that's yeah. what it takes. And in many of those races, you may be carrying a walkie talkie or something where you call ahead to, to the crew to say, okay, next time we see you, this is what the runner needs. Okay. You know, have it ready so that we don't have to stop and wait three, waste three, four, five minutes you know, getting something to eat, have it ready for them. Okay. Um, and, uh, or as you get through your crew, you actually, the runner continues by the crew as you run over to the vehicle and pick up whatever it is that, that you need, whether it's a fresh bottle or a, a gel or whatever the heck it is. So that you're really crewing on the run, if you will. Okay. And it, it, you're called a pacer, but you're really crewing as well. If, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I so do. So it's not always a function of setting a pace or okay. trying to hold the pace for a runner. Okay. So you're pretty much doing a little bit of everything and I'm sure it's different yeah. all the time too. every race. Right. And that's, 
Yeah, and it's important that you know that you're compatible with the runner, and you all have the same expectations. So if you're going to pace, you know what the runner wants. What yeah. what's your job supposed to be out there? Okay. Because it can be it can vary so much. Okay. Have you and your longer uh, races? Have you had hallucinations out there, which I know sometimes happens for these long distance? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, and at that point, it's time to uh, just to to go sit down and take a cat nap for twenty minutes to try to shake your head, you know, loose, get yourself awake. So yeah, I've had that happen to me uh, a number of times, and that for yeah. me, generally, a a twenty minute nap is enough to, you know, get me awake. And one one time, I had to do, literally do it twice. So. Yeah. I took a 20 minute cat nap. I started running within a half an hour or so. I started, you know, basically walking in my sleep and hallucinating and I had to take another 20 minute nap. Then I was fine. Okay. Um, and I'll, I'll do something like take a, a five hour energy, okay. which is like the worst tasting junk in the world. But it, for me, it really works to get to, to awaken me. Okay. And, uh, you know, some people drink coffee. I don't, I drink coffee, but not on a race because uh, it goes right through me, but five okay. hour, a five hour energy for me works. So, as you as you do more and more races, you find out the little things that work for you and don't work for you. Yeah, and all of that adds up to uh, the, the greater likelihood of a successful experience. Okay, that's good. Now, do you have any children or grandchildren or anybody else that does this stuff? All of the above, but no. Uh, <laughs> other than my granddaughter who plays sports and you know runs cross country in high school, no. Uh, my kids miss that gene somehow. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, they cheer, they cheer on dad, but uh, same thing for my wife. I couldn't have a bigger supporter, but no, not her thing at all. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. So now I'm to the point where I have to pick a, a venues where my wife wants to go. That way she goes shopping. She knows just, okay, this is when you need to be at the finish line. And that way she can do her thing. And then she's there at the end. But that's a long that's day great. for anybody. That's, that's fair. You know, it's a great way. It's a great way to pick your races. Why not? Yeah, that's good. So, excellent. Um, last question. Um, as yeah. far as um, like your doctors, have they expressed any concerns about what you're doing? Do they even know what you're doing? I'm always curious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, they know what I'm doing. And my uh, my primary care physician thinks now and always has that I'm completely nuts, <laughs> and he just can't get it. You know, for, I, unfortunately, he's not a runner himself. Yeah. If I had my druthers, I'd be searching for a for a, um, an MD who is a runner who would get it, you know, Yeah. but it, I've been seeing this guy for so long that he, you know, he really does understand. And um, I'm, I'm healthy, you know, I mean, yeah. I, you know, I don't take any meds. I'm, I'm fine. So yeah. it's not a real concern. And, um, you know, he keeps an eye on me and I, I'm proactive about my health. So I, you know, I, I have physicals at least two or three times a year and, and it's all good. So, yeah, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Cause I, I think that's always the, the interesting thing when you have a, a physician or somebody who doesn't understand or doesn't know, again, as long as you're healthy, that's a good thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll, you know, he'll almost say sometime, he'll, I'll mention something that I'm wondering if it's an issue, like my cholesterol is, it's not too high, but it's a little yeah. on the higher side. And he basically says to me, you know, for most people, I'd start keep, keeping a close eye on it, not for you, you know? <laughs> You know, or, you know, I've got a little, I have a little lung thing, of, you know, I, I smoked when I was a kid, right? Yeah. So I have a, some scar tissue in my lung. And and, he, he, and I said, is that something I should be worried about? And he said, some people I'd be keeping an eye on it for you. No, you know, <laughs> so he gets it, you know, <laughs> and, it, and, it, and adapts appropriately. And that's, that's cool. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking time with me today. Enjoyed it thoroughly, Pete. And um, 
again, if you have a chance to check out, in fact, I'll send you a link to that little the Keys 100 Experience uh, virtual video because I think you'll get a kick out of it. And um, yeah, I loved it. Thanks very much for your time. Here's part two of our conversation. Actually, probably not a bad idea. We follow up each other after uh, ARFTA being completed. Yeah, I just found out the results. And uh, the guy who came in second to me last year with 212 miles won it this year with 211 miles. So, uh, yeah, they just they just finished it up. And um, so good for him. You know, it's good that they were able to have the race. It was smaller this year. But the fact that they were able to have it at all is good. Yeah, pretty impressive. I was able to, I pulled up the uh, results last night and right. um, it, pretty incredible. What, three people over 200? I'm looking at them right now. Um, yep. And 211, then 201, 201. Um, and that that uh, Donald Jans, uh, it's amazing to me. He did 101. I did it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, he is. He's a machine. The guy's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I saw uh, Laz did it. Laz did it last year, too. Laz did 65 miles last year. Okay, yeah, he did 72 yeah. this year. Did he? Wow, good for him. Well, I, it's funny because I, I was thinking about him last year, and uh, one of the impressions I had of, was how totally laid back he is. Uh, <laughs> at, at, in, at, I mean, he, he did 65 miles last year, just walking, slowly walking, and almost the entire time was just casually talking to people along the way. I mean, it was a totally totally a social event and yet he did he still did 65 miles i mean it's just amazing i I, you know he has he's such an anomaly the guy's a brilliant mind uh he you know he's not much impresses him nothing seems to phase him you know it's like his i think his attitude is look if you choose to do it then just do it you know (laughs) don't don't bother me (laughs) and 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 he does the same he just yeah go walk a few miles and then he do a few more and, and then I think he was. I think he was 65 years old last year, and he did 65 miles. I think that's right. It is because um, yeah, he was 60. Uh, he did six. Uh, it says he's 66 this year. Um, okay. So. so yeah, that that's incredible. So have you met him before last year? Do you know him well? I do not know him well. I'd only met him once before, and that was um, his. Uh, you know, he has a a, a, a I guess a, a mini version of. Um, yeah, my mind's gone. What's yeah. his big race? Uh, the Barclays. Of, uh, the Barclays. Uh, yeah, but he has like a mini version of Barclays. Yeah, in the fall and and um, a couple of years ago, there was a a big hurricane threat here in Fort Lauderdale. So actually, my wife and I drove up to Tennessee to escape the uh, the hurricane and to stay with cousins of mine. And while I was there, that happened to be the weekend of this trip. And two of my running friends from Florida were I know were running in it. So I decided to drive over and take a couple hours and drive over there just to you know, uh, cheer for him really. Yeah. And, um, and I, so I I put myself, placed myself at an intersection where I thought the greatest opportunity would be to see him. And I was there for hours and I never did see them. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, I did see Laz because that was a spot where he kind of put himself as well. So he could maximize the number of people he saw and communicated with. So I got, I just started talking to him because he, um, he's good friends with, uh, Mike Melton who, um, times a lot of his races and times all of mine. And uh, that that's our connection. So, yeah, he knew who I was as a race director, probably through Mike. But yeah. well, we'd never met before, so we talked for a while. And no, I, I don't really know him well. Just uh, just observation uh, through the media, and then of course my experience last year when I did spend some time with him. So, 
yeah, uh, interesting guy. He is an interesting. Yeah, I've watched the Barkley Marathon. You know the yeah the movie they have about him, and it's just, it's sure. just the whole thing is just intriguing. I mean, it's just it's just it's so interesting on so many levels. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. We could spend hours just talking about it, but yeah. yeah. But, but so many of the things he's done have have been totally unique and creative. Yeah. Uh, they just really have his backyard race and. Yeah, even uh, the race across Tennessee and a lot of other things, just really totally unique and so good for him. I know. I think it's great. I, I love all this stuff, and it's so funny. You, all you do is everybody knows his name, especially in the ultra world. Um, right. Whether they've done any of your races, you know, he's basically a legend. So I think it's that's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I wondered if you had looked at the results. So yeah, your your record safe and <laughs> <laughs> well for one year anyway. Well. And, um, yeah, I know Brad Compton who came in second, I think, and he's you know he's no kid either. He did he did well, so big yeah. tall guy. Yeah, well, I looked at it's funny when I was looking at the numbers. You know, if, if you break it down, uh, that guy who came in first, he did three point seven miles per hour, and so and that's pretty significant. Everybody else is like three three point one towards the top, um, so it's going to take someone in their mid to upper sixties to to do something close like like that to actually get it other than, you know, get into their seventies where, you know, you have more hours, which is helpful, but, um, it, it's going to be, it'll be a challenge. You know? Well, if you, I don't know if you remember from our conversation uh, yeah. the other day, but I mentioned to you that one of the things that motivated me to keep moving was that there were a couple of fast guys yeah. that were, um, on my heels and they were running much faster than I was. They eventually just ran out of time. Well, yeah. He's the guy who was the primary person chasing me, and you know, so he, you know, he was my rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I had to keep ahead of him. So yeah, no, you're absolutely right. He was much faster than I was, and he was again this year in terms yeah. of pace. Yeah, but, yeah, the hours worked against him. That's all. Yeah, that's why. So he's just gonna have to keep going. You know, the rate he's going, a couple more years, I think he's uh, he'll start putting some pressure on it. Oh no, oh no, <laughs> no question about it. I, you know, I had to do two fifty or something yeah. for it to last very long. So. No, I'm, you know, just the fact that it lasted one year is good. So, or maybe two now. So it's cool. That's good. So, um, I forgot to ask about, so people that supported you, I know for, let's say for this race particular, uh, since Mm -hmm. we're talking about it, uh, what's your crew like? Um, I actually had three people that flew out from different places to, to support me all running friends of mine. And, um, one flew out from Orlando was there for the first day. She'd only stay one day and they had to um, had to then fly back. It was just amazing that she did that. She's also crewed for me at Badwater. She was part of my double crew. Um, Beth Stone is her name. And uh, Caroline Cunningham, who used to live here but lives in the Salt Lake City area now, was there the entire time, as was Joe DeLazaro, who was, uh, who was from this area. So Caroline and Joe are ultra runners. I mean, all three of them are um, and are just very giving and, uh, you know, giving people who were – our friends and very, very supportive. And Caroline is this consummate cheerleader. She's a great crew person because she really motivates. And um, I think she probably lent lent a hand to half the people in the race because, wow. you know, the way that's set up, you have a one-mile loop, and we have our little aid station set up, personal aid station, right along the trail next to it. And she'd see everybody as often as she saw me, you know, every mile. So yeah. everybody was friendly and somebody needed something you know she helped them as well so it was a a lot of camaraderie and um really a lot of fun but they they kept me going and and um they really did they really motivated me they had stuff ready for me when i needed it coming by to save time and there were a few times actually a number of times when 
even though I didn't have any blister issues, but my feet were really banged up from pounding the pavement all the time. And, you know, she uh, or Joe, and particularly Caroline, you know, massage my feet or, or you know, get, get get some ice ready for me to ice them down. Um, I just couldn't couldn't have asked for uh, greater support than the three of them. It's phenomenal. That's awesome. You know, that's one of the cool things to think about these um, events. You know, we talked about the pacers and people running with you, but really it's everything else. It's just them being there and giving you all the things you need and attending to every every kind of issue you have. That That's, that's pretty cool. That's what I love about that sport. Yeah. Well, and Caroline also had ran, uh, she and another friend, and the three of us ran Brazil 135 together. We ran the entire 130 miles, 142 miles. We had seven bonus miles two years ago, but that's another story. <laughs> anyway, we ran the entire race together. Okay. Uh, that was our plan, and we were actually able to do it. So, you know, we're pretty good friends. And, um, yeah, she just was, she was like uh, Nurse Caroline. It was incredible. That's awesome. So as far as like recovery, if you think about this point, let's say it was a year ago that you did this. How was it that night? How many days did it take you to, to get over, you know, really going three days straight? It, it, you know, it, I slept a good, a good bit. Shower was the first thing. And, uh, you know, I slept quite a bit for the next day. And uh, but then my wife was had flown out to meet me out there. And um, we. uh I had the I had the rental car that we had driven up to Tennessee in, and uh, my cousins drove her out, so she was there for the end of it. Um, I got some sleep, and then uh, really about a day later, I guess it is all it was. We got in the car and we we drove the long way back to Fort Lauderdale by way of Birmingham. We we wanted to go there and see the new Civil Rights Museum there. So, and I drove, so I was fine. But wow. um, I typically, and certainly then as well, I generally would not doing any running for a couple of weeks i just kind of give my feet a break from all the pounding um sometimes a little longer i might do a little walking yeah. but mostly it's um sleep and calories you know and just uh just trying to let my body uh recover but it also depends on what the length of the race was it, you know a you know, hundred miler is not as well it de- no it depends on the length and on the topography as yeah. well uh and also what is next on the calendar so uh if i have a race coming up any time within a foreseeable future, I'm not going to let myself take too much time to recover uh, so that I can kind of keep my, um, you know, keep my conditioning to a point. But if I don't have a race for a long, for a long period of time, I might let myself go for a little while and, uh, and then crank it back up again later on. So, you know, give my whole body a chance to recover a little longer. Okay. Do you do anything like recovery boots or get massages or use ice baths or anything like that? I, I typically don't um, massage once in a while, uh, but not as a regular course of events, which okay. is probably a mistake. Um, but um, you know, I'll I'll use uh, you know you know when I say the stick, you know what the stick is? Yep, it's like yep. a massage tool. You know, yep. I'll use that kind of self um, you know self massage okay. some, um, but usually not a whole lot. Um, one thing I will do is I will do some walking, so I don't. They don't, I don't uh, stiffen up too much or stay too stiff, but now there's no, I, I have no real, uh, specific routine. My body just, uh, just really just, it needs, needs to rest and, and I come back pretty quickly usually. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's good. I always wondered that, you know, um, when I, and I think probably the, just your pace and, you know, you're not going 
all out the whole time, which I think is an advantage too. You just kind of go in at a nice steady pace, you know, other than, you know, again, depending on the topography, how much, you know, right. hills you're climbing. Um, you know, I, as I transitioned to the Ironman, I felt so much better than I ever did when I did any marathons because I'm trying to go fast and you're at your body just could barely walk. And so I think, again, it comes down to speed. So that, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's a very different thing being a middle of the back yeah. The pack and, you know, and trying to win the race. I mean, it, you know, I mean, most of them. So it's makes a big, and also whether you're doing a 50 K or a hundred, hundred mile, it just makes a difference too. Yeah. Well, that's good. Those are the things that I wanted to add in. Do you have anything else you wanted to add in? No, not really. Other than I was thinking uh, more, uh, more deeply, I guess, about the experience at ARF the last year. And um, I think I had mentioned to you that I went after the first 24 hours, I went back to the hotel and, took a shower and slept for three hours. Um, and I remember that I actually did wind up sleeping a couple of additional hour and a half sessions uh, during the, during the balance of the race and probably a, a few 20 minute cat naps, mm -hmm. but there were those couple of hour and a half sessions I really had forgotten about. So I got a little more sleep than I thought, but not a lot, but, yeah. but more than, more than I had mentioned earlier. And I didn't, I didn't want to be misleading. So, but you know, again, you've got, the adrenaline's pumping, and then later in the race, when you're you realize you're on target to really do something, and you got this guy flying around the course, <laughs> man, that keeps you motivated. It just does. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm sure. Well, that is awesome. Hey, thanks a lot, Bob, for uh, you know at least let, doing this again with me and just kind of tie any, up those. Thank you, Pete. Anytime. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode and were able to get some insight into how one weathering athlete approaches each day of training and racing to stay as injury-free as possible. I believe his biggest strength is his experience from all the races he has participated in and his work as a race director. As he states, he knows his limitations. Due to living in Florida, he tends to choose flatter races that suit his style and training conditions. He provides valuable advice for anyone getting into ultra running, including the value of being a pacer or being part of a crew to get your feet wet. His one minute run walk method works incredible on a one mile looped or flat course. I utilized his technique yesterday and was able to complete 52 miles and other than feeling tired from the mileage, I was still able to run the last two miles. So I appreciate his technique and his advice. Thank you for taking time with your busy schedule. If you find today's or any other episode inspiring, I ask you to consider to join our patron program. Details can be found at www.weatheredathlete.com. Also, please don't forget to hit subscribe to this podcast, share with your friends, give me a rating on iTunes, leave me a comment or drop me a line if you feel what you have what it takes to enter the Weathered Athlete podcast. Lastly, no matter how you complete your miles, I encourage you to use the following hashtag, my miles are for, as a way to reinforce the purpose of those miles. As always, my miles are for the journey, Pete Perusik.